welcome to the next edition of the Truth About Cars podcast with T-Tech Podcast. I am Tim Healy, the managing editor of the Truth About Cars. That is the truthaboutcars.com or ttac.com. We're going to be doing things a little bit different today. We're just going to have two two folks uh, doing the roundtable today as opposed to the three or four we've had in the past. It'll be myself and T-Tech contributor and the manager of EV Pulse Online, Chad Kirchner. Chad, what is your exact title? Um, hello, good morning. Yes, I must have scared all of your co-hosts away. Um, I'm technically the VP of content, but basically um, I manage the day-to-day for EV Pulse and then um, also the website flatsixlist.com, but that's not really why I'm here. But we do have a few properties that I kind of help manage. Before we get into what we're going to discuss today, which is going to be the LA Auto Show and mm-hmm. just the state of EVs in general, can you tell the audience just a little bit about EV Pulse and Flat Sixes for those who aren't familiar? Sure. So our major property, our flagship property right now is EV Pulse, which is something we started back in 2020. Um, freelancer budget started to dry up, and I had a business partner who was like, hey, do you want to start something? And I'm like, yes, let's do it. So EV Pulse is... It is an electrification site, um, so it's not exactly limited to electric vehicles. Uh, we cover hybrids and plug-ins, as well as some other alternative forms of, forms of transportation. Um, we go, we delve a little bit into autonomy as well. just kind of depends on how much news there is and how much, honestly, free staff I have to cover it. Um, as your audience, I'm sure, is aware, things are getting... The EV space is growing quickly. We may, we may be a ways yet from real mass adoption, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you know, next year everybody's going to be driving an EV. But there is a lot of movement in that space, um, and it's just it's getting larger. So, um, And then yeah. Flat Sixes Flat is a Porsche site. So if you like Porsches, mm-hmm. uh, flatsixes.com. Um, Bradley Brownell uh, helps run that over there. Um, and it's fun. But, yeah, the, the EVs are the, the bread and butter at the moment. Cool. And we'll talk a little bit more in the second half of the podcast about the growth of EVs. I've got a few thoughts on that and a few mm-hmm. things I've experienced in the past year or so. But anyway, let's start. So you and I are both, and I didn't see you much, even though we, apparently we were in the same hotel. I don't think I ever crossed paths with you. <laughs> uh, I didn't see you a ton in LA, but we were both there on Thursday for the media day. Yep. And by my count, and correct me if I'm missing something, forgetting something or otherwise wrong. My count, we had two production internal combustion cars, the Impreza and the Refreshed Seltos. Mm-hmm. A uh, production car in the Fiat, a production EV, excuse me, in the Fiat 500e, which I believe is limited sales. And I don't think it's a 50 state car. I could be wrong. Yeah, about we'll that. we'll yeah we'll talk about that because I was in a yeah. roundtable with with yeah. Olivier Francois. That was that Good. was very enlightening. It was the most it was the most like open that I've had an executive be like in a really long time, and I felt like I could ask anything. Um, and that's a it, it's it's a weird environment because like I, I don't necessarily have to vibe control what I ask, but um, it was like, yeah, what do you want to know? And that's a get, getting honest answers from an executive sometimes can be a challenge. So I was very, yeah. I was very like, it, it was it was it was fun. We'll talk more about it. But that was yeah. Like, let's circle back to that in just a few minutes because mm-hmm. I I was not part of that roundtable and be curious to hear your thoughts. Uh, I did have a few interviews with Stellantis executives, but they were uh, different topics. So, yeah. So in terms of EVs, we had the 500e, the Genesis Genesis X concept. Yep. Uh, Vinfast did a few things. I, I have I edited a story on Vinfast, but I didn't go to that press conference. And then um, I believe I'm forgetting something here. The well, you are missing the biggest reveal of the show, which yeah, was the Prius, which was the Prius. The Prius. You know why I'm missing that? Because it was the, the night Prius. before. <laughs> well, no, because it was the night before and. I was oh, thinking yeah. of Thursday. Oh, I, I was yeah, actually yeah. at the Prius event the night before, so we'll definitely will talk about that. The other reason why I wasn't thinking of it is because the Prius is still a hybrid, and I was thinking of period. It is, yeah. They did yeah. show the BZ Compact, which should be... Yes, they did. Which should, yes. Assuming which the wheels very don't fall off. It, yeah, assuming the wheels don't fall off, it should be the next, the BZ3X. Yes, yes. So let's talk um, Stellantis then. To go, we'll start with that. So you, yeah, let's you sat it. down with Stellantis in a roundtable. I know there was probably several journalists uh, involved in that. Can you just kind of describe to me and the audience what that was about? Because for whatever reason, I don't know if we were not invited to that or just didn't sign up in time. I, I definitely did have interviews. I sat down with uh, Ralph Shiles to talk about the Dodge Daytona concept, sure. the Charger Daytona concept, and then, uh, as well as the uh, Scott Kruger or Scott Kruger, who I believe worked on the exterior of that car. So I definitely had my moments yeah. with Stellantis, but I didn't do the roundtable. I'm very curious uh, how that went. 
so i mean this is inside baseball but your audience sometimes digs that oh so, absolutely um I, w- I would say that uh prior to the auto show i was offered two different executive interview options one was with ralph gels um which i did take and we did talk about evs and stuff there so um because he's always he's always fun to talk to oh yeah plus he, plus he just won that lifetime achievement award which um he's always really humble he he's 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 definitely proud of the work he does and proud of his team, but like he also doesn't really like talking about himself, which I also kind of appreciate. Um, And then the other was an option to speak with um, in sort of a round table format with um, Olivier Francois, who is the head of uh, Fiat North or in the United States. And I forget the other executive, his his counterpart sort of at Alfa Romeo. Um, I don't think it's exactly his level, but a step down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they brought, they did a couple throughout the day. So the one that I was with, I was with uh, Brandon Circus from Motor One and um, Jared Rosenholtz from Carbuzz. So mm-hmm. it was it was sort of us three. And basically, this was this was after Fiat showed off their three 500e concepts that they had for the show. Um, they didn't actually show a US so. Real high level. They didn't show the U.S. spec version of the car. This announcement was literally to say, next year, we're going to have the Fiat 500e at the show, and you're going to be able to buy it and shortly after. So we're still mm-hmm. a year away from it. Um, but to kind of to kind of make that noise a little bit louder, they did bring along three concepts that I believe they're going to sell the one-offs in Europe for charity or something. I don't remember exactly. But the, the long story short is... The Fiat 500e is returning to America. Um, it sold okay the last time, though the car um, was notorious because um, uh, the, the, why can't I remember his name right now? Um, normally, I can't. Sergio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Sergio yeah. Marchion very publicly said, "I lose fourteen thousand dollars on this car. Do not buy it." Um, <laughs> which you really don't want the chief executive telling you to not buy cars. Um, so, and, and, you know, the Fiat 500 sold reasonably, I think, reasonably well for what it was. Um, I really liked the Abarth trim a lot. Uh, it had Fiat reliability issues, but I know some people that have had really good luck with them. So, uh, but the car went away with the the new generation because the new generation is is all electric. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of questions, I think, leading up to this auto show. Um if Fiat would ever bring the car here because it's not really designed for an American consumer. There are American consumers who do want it, but it's not a high mileage EV. It's not a, it's not a large, you know, people hauler. It's, you know, generously it's four seats. Um, more realistically, it's two and a half. Um, and, you know, realistically it's going to have a hundred, 150 miles of range. Um, but it has a lot of style. It has a lot of design. Um, and the reason why it's coming back, which leads us into my conversation with uh, with Olivier, was um, Fiat is going to use the United States and North America as a test market, which sounds really weird because being one of the largest auto markets in the world, uh, we often aren't where automakers run experiments. And But with Fiat... Uh, North America is a blip on Fiat's radar. They can mm-hmm. tank their entire business, the, Fiat, the entire Fiat business in the United States, and they wouldn't move the needle. Needle, it wouldn't affect anything. Um, playing around with car sales and stuff in Europe could hurt Fiat. It would be like screwing around with Jeep here. Um, right, right. You know, there, there's they're going to use this market to they they, they don't want they want to make waves in terms of the stuff that actually makes them money. And in North America, Jeep makes the money, Ram makes the money, Dodge, to some extent, makes the money, and Fiat does 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 not. So no, no. no. Um, so uh, they're going to experiment with different ways of selling this car. So they don't know they don't have a, a solid business plan yet. Um, but some of the things that they've talked about being able to, of wanting to try is, um, they're all, they know for sure they're only going to offer it in the electric. Um, they also confirmed that there will be no next generation 500X. So the 500X is dead. Um, unless for some reason demand came back for it. Because they could, because they still sell it globally. So they could bring it back here. But um, the goal is to be a one model, a one model brand in North America. That'll be the 500E. 
Um, they're going to play around with the idea of only offering it in limited trims. So maybe there's only, you know, one trim level and a couple of colors or, you know, a couple of interior options, a couple of exterior colors, and maybe that's it. Um, they're really trying to manage complexity because complexity is expense and mm-hmm. they want to do this as inexpensively as possible. Uh, but also Olivier, one of the things that he said that really kind of rung that struck a chord with me because I haven't really heard an auto executive say this is, you know, they're going after like the 20% or not the 20%. I mean the 80%, like there's going to be this 20% of people who are interested in the 500 E that just, it won't be for them. Like they, they, they won't have the right options or it won't have the right range or it'll just be, it'll just be something that's, that's not for them. And mm-hmm. Fiat's not going to try to win them over the same way with, uh, just the general public and you know the public in general they don't care about volume he specifically said i don't care about volume i want to make my money back for bringing the car here but that's it so they're not going to chase fiat before was trying to chase volume and that's yeah i was going to say it's a little different than six or seven years ago when they had the abarth being driven around and was it Charlie Sheen in a Super Bowl commercial. And <laughs> yes. Italian supermodel. Yeah. Yeah. And that, they, they spent a lot of money on a commercial. I believe it was a Super Bowl. Uh, it was. Not, yeah. yeah. So now I think Fiat is definitely in a little bit of a different place for sure. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they just didn't sell a lot of cars. There are yeah. people here who definitely want this car. And they recognize that. But they also recognize that they're not going to take sales away from a volume competitor. So... Once they're freed of of trying to make volume, then they can really experiment with other things. So maybe there'll be, um, I asked, because there was talk about like creating sort of demand and um, creating urgency. And I was like, well, like, like a sneaker drop kind of format. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, almost exactly like that. So you might see a regular production 500E, but maybe they throw a special color or something that they only offer for six months or three months, or, um, you know, maybe you don't go to a dealership to buy the car. Um, they're not going to go dealership list. That was very clear. Um, the dealer will still be responsible for delivery and prep and maintenance. But, um, you know, maybe you order the car online and go that route. Um, you know, maybe there's only, you know, maybe there's only coupes available and not coupes and convertibles. Maybe there's only convertibles like they're they're willing to try it's weird because they're willing because they admit that they don't that they have a plan but they also don't have a plan which is actually more confidence inspiring than walking in there and ha- hearing him say oh yeah this is exactly what we're going to do this is how many yeah. cars we're going to sell it's, like, it's almost it's almost like a refreshing amount of honesty instead of having instead of having a plan that's that's clearly bad yeah they're admitting what they don't know right yeah and they're yeah. willing to and they're willing to like try things and if it doesn't work then they'll try something else. Um, you know, he's he's like, Hey, if this we try this for a few months and this idea doesn't work, maybe we try something else. You know, maybe we try something else. They're trying to find what will resonate with buyers so that they can adopt those best practices for the other the other Stellantis brands. Um and, yeah, that makes sense. Um yeah, for sure. Anything yeah. else interesting from the roundtable? That uh... I mean, I mean, so so we're not getting the Abarth anytime soon. Yeah, um, no, it's a bummer, but I understand. It's it, and it, he's basically said it's gonna. He's like it's gonna. It's, he's like it's a fair question. Uh, it depends on how successful our experiments are. Um, you know, if people really gravitate to the 500 e better than what they expect, which is again, they don't have a lot of expectations, so it's not hard to meet it. No, then no. then maybe they'll. You know they'll federalize the the 500 EA Barth to sell here. I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping that he was going to be like, yeah, you know, but... yeah, Barth, especially with an EV motor, could be a lot of fun. Oh heck yeah! I mean, like if if anybody here has driven a mini, a gas powered mini, and then the uh, the electric mini, I uh, have, I believe, yeah, it feels. I like the gas-powered Mini. I've driven both the older supercharged one and the newer turbo ones. Um, they're fun. But when, oh, you yeah. put an, but when you put an electric motor in them, like it feels like that's the powertrain that it should have had from the beginning. Because you just get that instant torque. So you, it's, it's real zippy. There's not a lot of top speed, but they're never 
wasn't a lot of no, top speed that many anyway. Top speed in that car anyway. Yeah. So it makes, I, I really think of all of the EVs that I've driven, like the Mini SE really feels like the one that, man, it should have never had a gas powertrain. And yeah. I feel like that they could deliver a lot of fun uh, with the 500E, especially because you don't need a big battery. Because they're they're targeting, like I said, 100, 150 miles of range. This is a city car. This is your second car. This is not something you drive across the country with. And if that's not right for you, they're fine with that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, and, and that's that's kind of my opinion too. Like if an EV, and we'll talk about this more later, but like if an EV isn't right for you, I'm not going to sit here and tell you go buy one. No, you know, there's no. there's perfectly good. Yeah, there's perfectly good high mileage hybrids out there that you can really we'll I talk mean, about one of those in a few minutes the prius for sure yeah you know the prius for sure i like the kia sportage a lot in the hybrid the new hybrid in the mm-hmm. sportage i was getting i was getting like 40 miles to the gallon out of it and plenty of room I, it's funny you mentioned that that's the vehicle i drove right before the show we can talk about that as well um sure yeah, uh, yeah for sure yeah okay, so I'm like sorry. so i guess a long story super duper short is um their expectations are low but they're going to try some things, and they're going to try some things that maybe a U.S. audience has never seen before. And and you're going to write about it. You're going to cover it. And you're going to be like, "Well, this is smart," or "This is dumb." And they're going mm-hmm. to look at all of that. And they're going to look at all that feedback. And they seem really willing to adapt to try to figure out what works instead of instead of trying to settle on a plan and and kind of force its way through. So that that's good interesting on them. to hear. Yeah, good good for Fiat for being self aware like that, and then just kind of shifting away from. Fiat and Stellantis for a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the car I was forgetting earlier was, well, the Prius was one of them, but the other car that my brain just couldn't remember, and I don't know why I couldn't because I, I think it's actually a really good looking car. It was the Hyundai Ioniq Six. That was probably the biggest production uh, surprise in terms of production EVs from the show. I, I guess I wouldn't say surprise. I think we knew they were going to show it, but um, you know, I, I really like the way the car looks. I didn't spend a lot of time at the Hyundai booth. I just had a few other things going on and couldn't sure. really spend a lot of time with it, but. I love the way the car looks. Uh, I'm a fan of the Ioniq 5's driving experience, yes. driving dynamics. I don't know if I like the looks of that kind of wagony crossover. It's a little bit divisive or divisive styling-wise. But the, the Ioniq 6, I think, is a much better-looking car. I think it's really going to help mainstream EVs a little bit or make help move EVs into the mainstream is what I should say. So well, they, I, um, I, I really liked that car. And what kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. Well, the looks the looks are still kind of polarizing in the way the Ionic Five a little is. bit, yeah. Um, especially with the rear end, like I think the rear end kind of looks like a seventies or eighties Porsche with the wing setup. Um, mm-hmm. I had I a commenter that. on had a commenter on our YouTube video say, "Oh, you like wings on top of your on top of your wings?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, well, they bro, I do." The, the internet meme, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because this is going to be this is a more aerodynamic Ionic Five, so they're yes. targeting yeah. they're targeting something like three hundred and forty miles of range, which for a non premium, awesome. yeah, which is for a non premium EV is pretty awesome. Um, it is the same eGMP platform. It's the same, I think, ninety some kilowatt hour battery. Don't quote me on that. Um, you know, you'll be able to able to get it in dual motor versions. Um, and it's it it'll charge it up to 235 kilowatts. So that's a that's a 10 to 80 percent in 18 minutes. And that's something that I've been able to test in person to confirm. And like that's basically a potty break, you know? Yeah, that's it's a little bit longer than a potty break, but it's not much longer than a potty break. It's not and, enough to screw up a road trip too badly, right? And you know, I, I don't know what their volume seller is probably going to be. It's probably going to be the Ionic Five because I, I think more people so. want. I think more people want that hatchback. Kind of not a crossover, Agreed. but kind of a crossover kind of kind of space. Um, but because this car is a proper sedan, it has the arrow of a sedan, which is what allows them to get a lot more range—thirty or forty miles more of range—without um, mm-hmm. having to adjust the architecture at all. And I like—I mean, this is a, maybe a broader discussion, but this this proves that Hyundai's Ionic cars are going to look different. And they're going to look special on the road. And whether you like them or you don't, you're going to notice and talk about them. And I think that's better than what Hyundai had been doing sort of the past few years prior, where I think they really adopted a, a, especially not this current Sonata, but like the previous Sonata was very much like a Me Too car. Mm -hmm. And I like design. 
And I think designers like designing. One of the things I asked Ralph Jills, I said, well, you know, what about the people who, you know, think the Charger Daytona is ugly or whatever? He's like, and basically it amounted to at least they're, you know, they have an emotional reaction to it. He's like, he'd ra- I'd rather have people hate my design than people look at it and just be like, eh. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, just looking at the Ionic 6, one thing about its design that I find interesting, like I said, I think it looks really good, but it's going to probably cost some rear headroom that swoopy oh, yeah, line. Yeah, sure. That might be. And if I remember, there's been a few cars over the years, like the Chrysler 200 is probably the poster child for this, where mm-hmm. the car looked really good, but it cost some sales because of rear headroom. And with, and with also today, Sergio, that can be a problem. And also, Sergio Marchion publicly called the people who built it like idiots oh, yeah. or the equivalent yeah, it didn't help it doesn't help but <laughs> really uh, oh oh rest in peace sergio yeah um yeah you know you probably will lose some some rear, rear seat headroom um you i don't believe they're going to offer it with a sunroof but um if they do definitely skip the sunroof because you'll get some more headroom that way um but the uh, but they have an ionic five for those who really need yeah, that headroom. That's true. Um, you know, and there's going to be an Ionic 7 coming probably next year, which will be their three-row crossover The that follows along the lines of the EV9, which mm-hmm. I was hoping from Kia that I was hoping that we were going to see at the show, but... Yeah, not, same here. My, my sources tell me it's not quite ready. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at a January or February reveal. Yeah, CES um, or Chicago, which would be I, on the timeline. I I think both could fit the timeline. I don't know if Chicago's the right place for it. Yeah, so that that would well Detroit moving to the summer uh, or right. summer or fall that would really mean CES or if not Chicago, yeah, which wouldn't be but, shocking. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> no, I dig it. I, I like the car a lot. I can't wait to drive it. Some of our colleagues who are on World Car uh, got to drive it, and they seemed pretty positive on it. So I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Yeah, and then I just wanted to talk about two other EVs. Well, one's mm-hmm. actually a hybrid from from LA. So Priya, well, actually, let's make this two EVs and a hybrid. Uh, since, okay. since Toyota did two things uh, at the first event I went to on Wednesday night, and the, the only real the, the only real event I went to um, Wednesday night was the unveiling of the Prius, which you know is a much better looking car. And I also took notice of the power specs, and it's not exactly a drag racing car anymore hat tip jason Bateman. But, but it's the power is is definitely improved and oh yeah it's better yeah and i think it's a better looking car it's going to be much better accelerating around town so yep. i think that's that's definitely the appeal there and i think i think Toyota took a step forward without really changing the formula too much so i'm very very kind of impressed there it'll it'll look really good camped in the left lane on the highway yeah well um it won't be quite as camped anymore. I think people. Yeah, will I, be able I, to speed I think up the camping has. I think the camping has a lot more to do with the driver than the car. But um, I digress. That's true. Uh, uh, that's true. Yeah, well, the old car could have been both. It could have been both because the old car just didn't have a lot of guts. Yeah, this one will have some guts. Uh, new car. Um, I saw this back in June um, at Toyotathon down there in Texas. Um, and yeah, it's sleek. It has the rear end almost a little bit, a little crownish. Um, yeah, a, a new okay. kind of C clamp headlight, sort of daytime running lamp design, a, a very raked windshield, more raked than I think most modern cars have. Um, inside, it takes a lot of interior design cues from BC4X. Some you'll mm-hmm. like, some you won't. Um, and yeah, it has more power, both for the regular hybrid as well as the as well as the PHEV. Um, the PHEV will be almost 200 horsepower, and they are claiming a 50% range improvement because, bless bless the car gods, Toyota is using a lithium-ion battery in the Prius Prime. And mm-hmm. I saw that. That's a big like, support they, from the nickel for from them. The yeah. Before. yeah, welcome to... <laughs> Welcome to 2013, Toyota. Um, <laughs> that being said, I think the car looks really good. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. I was having a I did a similar kind of interview discussion with a, a contact at ABC News uh, last week, and he pointed out he's like he's like you know back when the Prius first kind of the second gen Prius was really when it took off, and that's when all of the quote unquote Hollywood elites had one, and how you know. 
everybody and every like you wanted to be seen in a Prius, and it had a and it had a design that was really, you know, one that you would notice. Like, oh, there goes a Prius. Um, and at the same time, Hummer was was selling a massive gas gasoline. Like, you know, like they were they were being attacked in the public by the Prius driving. You know, mm-hmm. Hollywood remember types that. about yeah. how, yeah. like, you know, this is destroying the planet and this is that. And then now, a new generation Prius is among is among us. At the same time, the Hummer returns. And the but Hummer, time, of course, is now EV. Yeah. But this time, the Hummer returns as an EV, and Prius is still a hybrid. Now, we could talk about efficiency and weight and stuff like that. And uh, obviously, the Hummer is still a ridiculous car that is you know criticized because of its ridiculousness and the prius is you know it's it's weird how those two vehicles seem to be almost connected right now and you're never going to buy two they're not competing for customers with each other but it's 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 a weird time to be alive tim yes it is yes it is uh I don't know. I think honestly, I think it looks great. It's going to have Toyota's new infotainment, which is getting better but not great. My biggest criticism is I don't like the steering wheel instrument cluster setup where they put all the gauges all the way up atop the steering wheel and towards the back, like on like on BZ4X. Because if I adjust the steering wheel where I'm comfortable driving, it really blocks my view of the speedometer, um, and I think it's annoying. So maybe the seating position and stuff and driving position will be a little bit different. Um, we're driving it in. Uh, we as the Mini Pulse are driving it in two weeks, I believe. Three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not on that program, so I don't know. You said the Prius, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're not doing that. We're doing uh, Outlander in a couple of weeks, but not Prius. Yeah, so um, Craig will be at Outlander. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Not that anybody here knows who Craig is, but hey, Craig. <laughs> yeah, actually, they would because yeah. Craig used to work for. Our, our parent company, but uh, oh, that's right. He was at he yeah. was at Auto Guide. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I briefly forgot. Um, but yeah, uh, it's going to be cool. And you know, I don't know, a cool Prius, an attractive Prius. Like, am I, I know wrong? it's hard. Am it's I, hard to live with. Wrong? Yeah, I wasn't um, blown away by it. It's, it. it's it does look better, a little bit better in person than I thought in the pictures. Mm-hmm. I, I did think the rear end had a little bit of copycat i'm not sure what car it was copying but there's definitely some almost a little bit of nissan z not exactly but there's a little bit of that that mm-hmm. kind of that that light bar that goes from that goes from side to side and all that sort of the swooping hatch there's a little bit of influence on other cars in there um but you know it's so far our readers tend to really most of the i read the comments in the article i wrote most of them and the pictures i used were press photos i have to go back and put in the ones I took. Um, although they weren't great because the lighting at these events is terrible, but the yeah. um, the car is just generally much better looking than what, when it replaces. It's going to probably turn some heads, and so I, I really you know, Toyota always you know, with Toyota. I always feel like they're a little bit behind the time on certain things, but then when they catch up, they really catch up. Uh, just as an example, the Tundra interior. You know, I, I, we're switching gears a little bit to pickup mm-hmm. trucks here, but the, the Tundra. You know, I, we, I've ragged on Toyota interiors for years, and the Tundra comes along. And there's still a lot of the interior that I don't like, but the one thing they got right was that big, huge infotainment screen. And I think yeah. they've done a nice job kind of catching up. And I think I'm seeing the same thing with Prius. Uh, you know, the styling, we ragged on it for years, and now it's finally good looking. We ragged on the lack of power for years, and now its power is better. I'm not going to say it's great but it's better it's, i mean it's more than adequate yeah. i mean for what it I, is i know for the type of driver's gonna buy the car it's fine yeah, yeah i mean i know your readers want more power i want more power but like well, everyone wants more power but everyone but, wants more power but like yeah 200 200s from the plug-in like it's a lot yeah <laughs> i mean i mean really like off the line you know instant torque like that around town city where you really feel it um it should yeah. feel pretty quick now like once you're merging onto the highway you put your foot down yeah it's not gonna feel as quick but um you know it's you talk about you talk about like how deliberate toyota is like they follow their own sort of timetable and when they deliver they deliver and i think there's a lot of i think there's a lot of truth to that um but i don't think they move quick enough um this new prius looks good it'll probably sell well um it's definitely a, a good vehicle for what it's looking for. Um, 
you know, but like Tundra, let's go back to the Tundra. Like, all right, it's a hybrid. Okay. That, that isn't any more fuel efficient than the regular gas car. Um, when Ford is out here with their power boost hybrid, it's delivered in the mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so like they always just seem to be a little, they always seem to be a little late on a lot of things. And the Koreans right now are really eating their lunch with yes. battery, with battery electric development. I mean, all the Japanese automakers, not just Toyota. Um, you know, what the Subaru, the new Impreza, why is there not at least a mild hybrid option? Like you're not even, not even a traditional hybrid, just something. It's not there. Right. Um, it's, it's, and I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where Subaru is going to get it from. Like they don't really have any deals with anybody sort of, they work with Toyota sometimes, but like they don't really have anything in the pipeline. Mazda bless their hearts, but the MX 30 is trash. No, yeah, um, the range of that is really bad. Right? And it's well, it's not even the range. Like the Mini SE goes 114 miles. But I adore that car because yeah. it's fun to drive and it, it it delivers on everything you would expect from a Mini. And the MX-30 isn't a Mazda. Like it doesn't feel like a Mazda. No, it feels and the interior isn't, and the interior isn't great. And just you start to notice all of the flaws because it doesn't drive really well. And you're like, it's. It would have been a good first effort five years ago, but for mm-hmm. 2021, 2022, it's it's not. Um, Nissan, I mean, where is the Aria? Like, I've driven it. Yeah, it's I know. Not I'm, I'm, yet. Where, yeah, where, I've been kind of wondering it myself, right? Where is it? Um, but, you know, they're the, probably the most of the Japanese automakers to the farthest ahead on EV development. Honda, Honda had to go to General Motors to get their first mm-hmm. EV out the door. Mm-hmm. And you know, as an Ohioan, I appreciate the all of Honda's investments for battery production and and stuff here in Marysville and whatnot. Um, it's great; it's all stuff definitely to look forward to. But like, where <laughs> the where you know, like the Americans are beating them, and that's really that's an interesting thing to say because the U.S. car market, especially when we grew up, grew up was very kind of resting on its laurels oh you know Mm -hmm. general motors we're ford you know we can do no wrong so we're just going to shovel some crap out the door you know i had a 2002 chevy cavalier it wasn't great yeah Um, i had a a grand am in my in my 20s it was a 91 grand am it wasn't but but i don't want to get too sidetracked into talk we can always do that no yeah no we got personal failures in terms of vehicles (laughs) yeah exactly i wanted to bring it back to toyota a little bit and talk about the bz Mm -hmm. concept which Mm -hmm. is a concept so i don't really expect it to uh be a production vehicle but obviously as you as you know most concepts nowadays preview at least some production aspects so maybe some of the more fanciful parts of this car are going to make it to the market yeah i think this is your next this is your BZ3 this is your next compact. This is your next compact or so, or, or midsize five seat four door EV SUV crossover. Yeah. Rav four sized. Yeah, that's it. That sits under a BZ four X. Yeah, it'll probably be yeah. the BZ three X. Um, just following Toyota's Beyond Zero. Yeah, the, the naming three is, is the fairly... size. Like four is the size, and then X is because it's a crossover. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's really exp- I mean, it's not super expensive to build concept cars. But to build a concept car just for the sake of building the concept, it's something that doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't happen. Not since the so, 1990s, really. So, yeah. this one um, I think is pretty good looking. I don't think the yoke is going to make production. I think they'll have a normal steering wheel. But otherwise, yeah. I think it's fairly, fairly, uh, how do I say this? The exterior is fairly, I think, fairly accurate of what the production vehicle is going to look like. Yeah. Um, the yoke will probably, the yoke will probably make production in Europe and Japan. Um, that before mentioned, Craig has already driven the Yoke. Uh, oh, really? Okay. On the Toyota, or not? I'm sorry, on the Toyota, but the Lexus, the RZ450. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, I think Yoke's stupid. I do too. I'm gonna go on the record as saying they're dumb, though the way Toyota handles it is a little different than how Tesla does. Um, yeah, yeah. The sure. steering rack is adjustable, so at low speed, you're not doing a our hand, uh, you know, hand over wrist, hand over hand kind of a churn. Yeah, um, that's that makes it a little bit better. Be but I digress. You're right. The, the yoke probably won't make U.S. production, at least not right away. The curved screens are not going to make U.S. production. Um, there's, I don't believe there's any supplier now that that can make those in automotive grade. 
Um, right. You know, there's curve, there's curved screens on computer desktops and on cell phones. But if if you remember, uh, like or um, Tesla used a laptop screen, basically the equivalent of a laptop touchscreen in the first Model S, um, and it wasn't it wasn't auto auto quality, so it eventually got yellowish and they had to be replaced. They had to be continuously replaced because it just, they weren't designed to handle temperature shifts and stuff like that. So curved screens, probably not going to stick around. I don't know. Everything else looks like it could be production, you know? Yeah. I, I, like I said, the exterior, I think looks pretty close to production. Yeah. It has the um, Prius, Prius style headlights. Um, yeah. Which I think is the new design language going forward for Toyota. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but- I, I uh, specs or anything I, I don't know but as i joked earlier as long as they can keep the wheels on it um <laughs> they'll be you know they'll be okay but um yeah they need to get a move on they need to get that car needs to that car needs to happen sooner than later again not because everybody should be driving an ev right now and i know we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a second but not because of that but just they're behind and right. once tastes once tastes do start to shift, and they will, then you're going to be able to walk into a Hyundai dealership or into a Kia dealership and buy from an entire lineup of EVs. Even a Ford or a GM dealership if Toyota waits long enough, where you walk into a Toyota dealership and you're going to have two cars, three. That's not that's not necessarily the greatest look from the world's largest automaker. Now, um Toyota can rest on its laurels a bit. I think it's I think it's been doing that quite a bit lately. Um but if they can deliver an EV that is as good of a product as the Prius has always been, I think they would be in very good shape. I don't think the BZ4X was was that, but maybe the BZ3X is. Very cool. So we're going to shift gears from Toyota. We're going to talk one more LA Auto Show debut, and then we'll take a break and come back for the second half of the podcast and talk EVs in general. Yeah. So we're going to talk about VinFast just real quick. VinFast. Yeah. But I'm very curious as to your thoughts on how likely VinFast is to stick around. I I talked to them last year at the show in Mm -hmm. 21. I spent some time talking to a couple of representatives of the company on the show floor. Uh, I remember looking at the mock at the models and the interiors were basically foam mock-ups. They weren't sure. real interiors. This year, I didn't have a chance to spend much time with them. I did have one of my one of my team cover the the unveilings. Uh, yeah, yeah, of the VF6 and VF7. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of you know they've been around another year. They, yep. they they have enough money to do a press conference at the LA show, even though it's later in the day and those, those tend to cost a little bit less, they still, they're still expensive. Yeah. No, they so, were. you know, VinFast is still a going concern. They've been sending journalists to Vietnam to do, to do drive. <laughs> sure I've, I've not gone to one, but I know that they have done that. So I am, um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking they're going to be around for a little bit. And it's kind of wanted to see if you, if you were optimistic, pessimistic, or just sort of taking a wait and see approach towards VinFast's ability to hang around the American market. Um, first off, question: Am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yes, a little bit. Uh, we, okay. we we list ourselves as G-rated, but the occasional uh, swear word probably will slip past the uh, quote-unquote censors. I'll, I'll edit a little bit. They have an assload of money. Um, mm-hmm. they because the Vin Group is just this massive conglomerate. In Vietnam, they have everything from hotel change to schools. Yeah, to I noticed that. To, when I wrote about them last year. Just they, I mean, it's more or less the equivalent. It's not the Vietnamese government, but it's basically a powerhouse that has support from the Vietnamese government that just has an unlimited amount of resources. Genuinely. Yeah, and that's one reason why I think they're going to be around a little bit. And, and that's, that's why I, th- I remember yep. doing that last year when I covered them last year and did the research. I remember thinking. Yeah, they've got a lot of money behind them. They're not yep. just uh, they're not. Part up. I talked to um, I forget what Scott's last name is, but that's their head of service in in the U.S. And we chatted for about a half hour uh, that Thursday morning, and um, some big takeaways that I got from there is when you walk into a VinFast store, uh, you will have the option to choose from one of four different cars. Um, when Tesla first launched, if you remember, there was one car. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, was one remember, Lu- yeah. there was one. There was one Lucid. Roadster, then the Model S later. Yeah. There's one Lucid. There's one Fisker. There's mm-hmm. the these VC funded. You know, uh, car makers are 
they need to have something out there to make money to build more cars. VinFast doesn't need to do that. They have the resources to put four cars in the showroom at launch. Um, and I believe they intend on doing that. Uh, they do. I, I have not been on one of the VinFast boondoggles. Um, 10 days in Vietnam sounds like a lot of fun. I also don't know if I could leave the country for 10 days and have my business mm. survive. So that's right. a, little, a little give or take. Um, but they they do build cars already. They're not building EVs. Um, but they use BMW platforms in Vietnam to sell to sell gas-powered cars. So they know how to build cars. And um, while they might be new to EVs, like a lot of people are, they still have manufacturing experience. Um, and that's clutch. I th- yeah, I, I think and so. Not to interrupt, I think that's been it's been a problem with Tesla over the years. Is you know, they've had a lot of manufacturing problems, and they're one of the more successful. It's 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 yeah. very hard to build cars at scale with quality. Right. And I, I think VinFast having that experience already gives them a leg up. Well, in in the executive that I talked to. Um, you know, Houston, he's in charge of service. Uh, he's like, you know, we can deliver quality and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, Tesla's proven that quality doesn't matter. Um, cause I really, cause I really think that if quality mattered as much as you and I think it does, um, or as much as JD power thinks it does, um, Tesla wouldn't sell at all. And the fact of the matter is they sell a lot of Teslas. So the biggest challenge that VinFast will have is I believe that once they get the customer in the door, the customer is going to be wowed, genuinely, because they're going to see a whole lineup of cars. And even if they're not familiar with the name, they're going to be like, well, these guys must be legit. Um, And then maybe they test drive one while they're in there. Maybe they look at the technology. Maybe they look at the build quality. Assuming the build quality isn't bad, you know, I'm making some assumptions here, but assuming they can deliver on a, on a, you know, a reasonably well, reasonably well built vehicle, have a couple of them available and, you know, have a plan in place done on how these things get serviced. I think they're in a good spot. The problem that they're going to have is what's a VinFast. Mm-hmm. If you're walking, even you, you take yourself, if you're walking, you're like, I decided I want to buy an EV, um, you know, and you're walking up to a VinFast store and it's right next to a Hyundai dealership. Where are you going to yeah. walk into? Where are you going to walk yeah. into? Brand recognition is huge in the States. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think the one reason why and I don't want to get into a whole thing about Elon Musk because we don't have the time, but I think one reason <laughs> I think one reason why Tesla did so well when it started is it made the EV look cool. And then it also you know, Elon's ways of getting attention, both positive and negative, have probably helped. That's one re- and there's been a lot of word of mouth there too. But I think Tesla my whole point there is that Tesla is sort of the exception to the rule when it comes to to brand recognition. I, I have a feeling that if I went and talked to people who don't know a lot about cars and even a few who are what I would consider casual enthusiasts, mm-hmm. but what, what I mean by that is, you know, they, they know a few things. They maybe read the occasional road and track a car and driver. Most of them, most of the people would know Tesla and most would not know Lucid or Fisker or right. Rivian. And if they did, they, they wouldn't know a lot about it. They might say, oh, well, I know Lucid is making cars and they're expensive and they're electric okay. and that's about all they might know. So Tesla, I, I, I think, Tesla's, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think, no, uh, you're, I think your point is spot on that brand recognition matters yeah. and, and go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you and off. Tesla, I, no, and Tesla was just, Elon Musk was, I can't believe I'm saying this. Elon Musk was very smart in the beginning um, when it came to marketing, because not just getting himself out there as the face of the brand, but like making Tesla appealing in the way that Apple is appealing. Um, and I think that he gets he should get a lot of credit for taking mm-hmm. the company from its sort of real humble beginnings to sort of where it is now in terms of that brand recognition. One other thing that Tesla did was that they spent a crap ton of money on the supercharger network. And not just because the cars needed a place to plug in, but every single supercharger glows red and says Tesla on it. So if you are not convinced that an ev is right for you but you go to the shopping mall you go to your shopping mall you go to a store or a movie theater or a restaurant or something and you see a tesla charger there you're like huh huh yeah. maybe there's more yeah. chargers than i think huh yeah for and sure. you start to see more of those um for sure so it's for much sure. it's much more marketing than just charging the cars and that's that's one way that tesla got brand awareness out there without paying for traditional marketing. I like how people will say, oh, well, Tesla never buys advertising or anything. It's like, well, not directly, but... No, it's, it's, it's all indirect, organic. There is... Yeah. They still spend a lot of money on getting the name out. Um, 
I don't know if that works for VinFast because you know we're at a different place in EV adoption, but they have the resources financially to increase brand awareness. Well, we'll find I, out, won't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we will. You know, um, it's if, I, if I VinFast so, is at LA again next year and doing another press conference. That's going to be a really good sign for them. Yeah, I think so. Um, I also believe that, like you know, once they start selling a couple of cars, I think that'll that'll definitely help. Um, but also, like, it's really easy, and I know how your audience is, and they're probably sitting here saying this guy's a, a a show. Actually, one of my favorite comments ever on a story I wrote was from a TTAC commenter. Um, that <laughs> it was it was a good burn. I appreciated it, but um, it's very it, it's there are so many EV startups out there, and it's they all sort of you know kind of say some of the same things and they want you to buy into the hype and the excitement and if you dig a little bit below the surface you know there isn't a lot there um and i i really feel like vinfast is farther along than that but the hurdles they have to cross are still borderline insurmountable um mm-hmm. i would have rather have seen vinfast partner with toyota or honda or mazda and because it's going to i mean look at how hard it was for um, nissan to convince people that the that the uh titan was a u.s built truck oh it's got a nissan badge on it and that is the japanese it's the jap crap and the truck was designed engineered and built in the united states uh, a lot of people are going to say, "What's a Vinfast?" Oh, it's Vietnamese. Like, yeah. What does what does what does that old stereotypes mean? die really really hard? Yeah, and it's not fair. It's it, no, it's it not. Isn't, it isn't fair. Um, but it's also reality. And... Yeah, and sometimes it's also based in in uh, in not knowing things. Uh, this is not exactly the same thing, so I'll be careful here with this analogy. But you know, I owned I've owned four cars in my life. Uh, and one was a Honda, but it was built in America. It was built in Ohio, not far from where you live. And a lot of people were like, oh, it's a Honda. It's Japanese. I'm like, yeah, but it's built in Ohio. The Mustang I had, I think, was built in Canada. Well, no, I think Mustang was built in Michigan. But I had, I think, I believe I had an American car that was built in Canada. I'm not 100% certain. But, right. you know, but the point is, my Honda was definitely built in America. Like, I, I right. know, I, I saw the VIN number, and the VIN had a one in the first digit. <laughs> yes, started with one. Yes. So it's like, you know, and then there were other. I, I think what I'm thinking of is not the. I had I owned a Mustang, which I'm pretty sure was built in Michigan, but there were, I think Camaros were built in Canada for a while. So it's like I think they were built in Brampton. Yeah, yeah, not so Brampton, like, not Brampton. Um, that's they that's were built somewhere in Ontario, though. I'm pretty sure. So well, it's, it's the like, funny thing, like a Charger or a Challenger. They're built yeah. in Bram. They're built in Brampton. The right. Hemi's come. The Hemi's come from Mexico. Uh-huh. Right. It's, not an Ameri- is... it's, it's a North American car. Exactly. That's my, my point is that sometimes you buy an American car and it's built in Canada or Mexico or, or parts of it, you know, and like, like cars.com has their whole thing yep. with the, they kind of source that. And I don't want to get off on a tangent. We're, we're, we're late for a break. But my point here is that VinFast is going to get stereotypes being Vietnamese. And I know we, we kind of look down upon Chinese cars. A lot of Chinese automakers are just copycatting sure. American cars and a lot of them, the build quality is, is suspect. And it's just not fair to your point, you know, the, the the Nissan you said it was the Titan you know design built uh, in America everything about that truck was American except for the Nissan name right mm-hmm. so I, I just wonder if Vinfast is going to suffer unnecessarily because of that but on the other hand if they have all the money that they have they can push they can push past they can that push or back. they can yeah or they can pull back and say hey it didn't work in America but we'll still sell cars in Vietnam we totally happy so right yeah and I think that I mean yeah. The Made in America Index, I think, is something that I appreciate that Cars.com does. Um, but, but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, the, the a Vietnamese car, I don't know what people are going to... Yeah, I don't know how people are going to react to that. Um, if they walk in and... if You just got to get them in the door. The battle is to get them in the door. Mm-hmm. I think they. Absolutely. I think you can solve all the other problems with with product quality and stuff like that. But you got to get them. You have to get them in the door. And, um, yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't know. Old uh, stereotype. Old old habits die hard. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. 
don't yeah, have a great yeah. answer. I don't have a great answer for them. I suppose if I did, I'd be running VinFast's US operations and right, right, and, and actually uh, making real money. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do genuinely wish them luck. Um, more competition, I think, is always better. Um, I don't understand. I don't see why there's no reason why a Vietnamese car company couldn't sell cars in North America. Um, there's no technical reason there. And honestly, you talk about the Chinese briefly. Um, I drove an Arc Fox real briefly, but uh, somewhat recently, uh, which is a Chinese-only EV. Um, it's built by Magna. It's built, it's built at Magna Steyr in Austria. Um, it's just as nice as anything else that comes out of the Magna Steyr plant, like the G-Wagon and um, you know the Z4 and, and Supra and all of that. So... Um, Chinese market cars are getting better as well. And I know that we may never see those here because of our own relationship with China. But um, the real problem, and we'll, I'll let you take a break and then we should talk about, is how much EVs cost and who's going yeah. to deli- and who's gonna be able to deliver the actual affordable mainstream EV. Well, why don't we, instead of taking a break, we'll skip the break because we're already running a bit into, we're almost at an hour here. So what we're going to do is we'll switch gears, spend the final 10 minutes of this podcast or so, yeah. the final 10 minutes or so, uh, just on EVs in general, um, you know, what you're talking about with EV costs, you just kind of touched on a second ago and that sort of thing. The the thing that interests me is just, we're in the middle of the shift right now and I don't, I don't personally believe that we're going to see some of the promises the automakers are making by 2030 or 2035. Sure. We're not going to see things in eight years or not what they're saying, not quite the level they're saying, but I do, I am seeing just, and this is, I always hesitate to use myself because the sample size is so small, but just anecdotally looking at the cars that I'm testing over the course of 22 versus the course of 21. In 2021, I probably had two or three EVs come through my house. I had a mm-hmm. Mach-E, a Volkswagen ID4, and I, I traveled to, to drive a couple other things. I traveled to drive the ID4 with all-wheel drive down uh, last fall down in, um, I want to say it was last fall. I want to say it was 2021. I don't think it was 2022, although I traveled to the southeast of several, several times over the past year now. Yeah, no, I think it, it was, late, I think it was late 20. I think it was late yeah, 2021. I want to say it was late 2021. Um. But, you know, it's it was kind of like, well, okay, a couple of EVs come to the house. This year, I've had a whole bunch. I've had a Kona EV. I've had a Ford Lightning. I just sent – I have an EV6 sitting downstairs right now, and then I'm going to switch that out for a Kia Nero EV. I believe it's the EV uh, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had an Ionique 5. I've, I've had at least five or six EVs come through the house over the course of this past year. Mercedes EQS this past summer. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing more and more of them in the press fleet. And again, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to extrapolate and say that one journalist in one city is representative of the entire market, especially since we're not, uh, especially especially since I'm in Chicago, and Chicago is different than LA or Detroit or New York. But you know, it, it definitely is. If we're seeing more EVs in the press fleet, that's a sign that there's more on the market. Just obviously, yeah, there's obviously so. Yeah, well, and I, would, I guess I would almost... what I'm going to talk to you about is just kind of what you're seeing as we shift. What kind of shift are you seeing um, since you're someone who manages an EV specific website as we kind of move forward into the into the uh, into the future? Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting because you say that like, oh, well, the Chicago fleet might not be the good a good example, and I would say that that's probably a better example because Chicago is going to see a lot more mainstream cars, where LA tends to get more of the EVs and alternative energy stuff, um, along with supercars and stuff like that. You know, Detroit's sort of a weird in between because there's so many buff books and stuff in Detroit that those mm-hmm. vehicles still end up here. But the fact that, I mean, I don't know if you get a car every single week, but... Uh, I generally do, yeah. But if 10% of the cars that you get in the course of a year are an EV, that's more than EV market rate, you know, more than EV sales penetration right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. What's the, what's um, the sales penetration, 4%? So, I think it's 5 I've been checked recently, 5 to 6. It's yeah. been a few, uh, few months I've looked. Um, So, like, these things are coming, and... You look at mainstream auto shows, which, of course, are way different than they've ever been. But uh, last year's LA Auto Show was almost all EV reveals, whether it was mm-hmm. concept or production. You know, this yeah. year, yes, Prius was the big name, but there were still and then, mostly... Yeah, outside of Prius, there was only two internal combustions, the Subaru yeah. and the Kia Seltos. You know, um, 
<laughs> CES is going to have an all electric Ram pickup truck. Like, yep, I was going to mention that. These, these, uh, again, what we see because we're so ahead of the curve isn't necessarily what buyers are seeing. And with a sixty-six thousand, right. and with a sixty-six thousand dollar average transaction price, EVs are expensive. Um, yes, they are. Yeah, obviously, Tycons and stuff skew that, but the but the thing is, like, you know, there are some good affordable EVs out there. Um, if I can pimp one video, Craig recently did a review of the uh, absolutely the the Bolt's EUV on mm-hmm. the EV Pulse YouTube channel, driven yet. and it's really good. Like, it's not an amazing car. You're not gonna sit here and say, "Oh, this is you know, this is a lucid air for a fifth of the money." Um, but it delivers everything that an EV needs to deliver, and it delivers everything that a car really needs to deliver. So, yeah, at thirty-two grand. Motors... Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just saying, at thirty-two grand, thirty-one grand, thirty-five grand, you know, they've 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 slashed the crap out of the pricing on these cars um, because they lost the tax joke. <laughs> I was going to well, say, unless General Motors chases all the buyers away with with incessant use of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> I've gone from really liking that song to really not liking that yeah, song. It's played yeah. every 30 seconds. I'll have to yeah, give it a little yeah, break if I listen yeah. to it again. Yes, for sure. But, you know, we're, we're, we're promised that affordable EVs are coming. There aren't that many affordable EVs right now, and I think that that's really what needs to happen to really kind of yeah, shift the discussion. Um, I agree. That and both, charging, and I, I've been hammering in the theme of charging, charging a, becomes a little more available and quicker for the person who doesn't live in a single-family home. Yeah, well... If you live in a single-family home, you can buy a level two. But if you're someone like me in a condo or an apartment, it's going to take a little while before you get to yep. easy charging. I mean, single-family single detached homes are... I mean, you could you could, you could could say that that's a limiting factor. You could say that that's a privilege to have. And, yeah, um, And you're, you'd be right. And, you know, EV adoption right now, if you don't have a single family, like if you don't have a single house, like detached house uh, with a with a place to put in your own level two, you will not have a good time owning an EV. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can get by. I know people that do. Yeah, but... I've got places to charge that requires me to walk 10 or 15 minutes after I park the car. Yeah, like. Nobody really wants. I mean, not a lot of people want to do that. Now we may do not it as in the part winter of, time. No, yeah, we may do it as part, especially in Chicago. Um, yeah. We we may do that part of as part of our job, but right, right. You know, until we have real solutions for uh, at home charging for people who don't own a house, uh, EV adoption is going to still be a bit slow to, on the up on the upkeep. Yeah, or the uptick. I yeah. mean, um, also too, like it, it's something in your audience. They really need to understand, um, and I'm not saying they don't, but they really need to understand that like 80% of EV owners charge exclusively at home. They don't DC fast charge because they never go beyond the 250 miles that, that their EV sense. gets. So, yes, the fast charging network is important. It needs to be better. My God, it needs to be better. Um, and I will I will complain about it until, until it is better. But... Um, it's also something the average EV owner doesn't really deal with a lot. So um, I think on balance, uh, we still are a ways away from mass EV adoption um, for all of the reasons that you've said, all the reasons that I've sort of mentioned. But we've reached the stage in EV development where the cars are no longer just androgynous blobs. Mm-hmm. They're interesting. They can be exciting. Yeah, the Mach-E is um, supposed to child for that. Uh, yeah, the, the Mach-E so is great. I don't, I don't know anybody that's driven a Taycan that hasn't got out of it and said, that's, that was fun. Well, I'd like to drive a Taycan. I've not done that yet. but uh, hey, Calvin, uh, be... Calvin, ring him up. Um, yeah, no, maybe but... in the summertime. They, Porsche doesn't want to send cars to Chicago in the winter for fairly uh, obvious reasons. Them. Yeah, I don't blame them. But, I don't blame them either. But I, like I said, you know, I don't know. I drove an EV6. I liked. I thought the EV6 was fun. Like there's. Yeah, I'm in it right have... now, and it's a GT line. It, if you throw it in sport mode, it's pretty fun. I haven't had much of a chance to really push the handling, um, but it accelerates quickly. It's it's a lot like the Ioniq Five, except it's yep. probably a little more fun to drive than the Ioniq Five. And yeah, the Ioniq Five I thought was fun to drive. So, yeah, Ionic 5 is fun to drive, but I think it's a bit more of a highway cruiser. And yeah, the EV6 is, is a little sportier. A little sportier. Sure. Yeah, it's not a sports car, but it's... No, no, but yeah, it's sporty well, it's, for a crossover. Yeah, oh, for sure. You know, an EV6 GT, the full GT, is coming very, 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 very soon. Yes, yes. And you mentioned, uh, we're running tight on time, but you mentioned briefly the Kia Sportage Hybrid. 
just yep. to shift back to talk about we're just talking about cars in general here and, and not yeah. having a fixed topic. Uh, obviously, it's not a full EV. So I was on the Sportage launch in California back in I want to say it was April of this year. Yep. And I, I was supposed to Kia arranged things. We were supposed to drive both cars. You were supposed to drive the X line, the kind of off road oriented internal combustion right. engine Sportage in the morning. But if you drove in the morning, you'd switch in the afternoon. Well, long story short, and I won't name names, it's too inside baseball, but a certain journalist d- decided that he or she didn't have enough time with the Sportage Hybrid in the morning for the, what they needed to do. So I got stuck in the X-Line again in the afternoon. I mean, And the X-Line it... was fine, but it wasn't right. It wasn't as that, fun to drive as... I, I bet if you gave me three guesses, I could guess, but I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah, well, that's what oh. we do. Uh, uh, <laughs> next time we have a beer together. But, um, uh, you know... It was kind of like I drove the hybrid for like five minutes. And I'm like, oh, right. it seems like it might be nice, but it's just around the block, you know. I had it for so, a week before LA, and I'm like, man, this is really good. Yes. Like, way better than the X line, handles yep. better, the interior's nicer, yep. accelerates nicer. So the only the, thing was I wasn't getting the fuel economy I was hoping to get, but it's I blame being in the city and being a dumpster sure. in the city for that. So sure. I, I was I was reasonably pleased with the fuel economy on the one that I had. Um I would say that like if you're if you're on like I, w- I would buy one I've, I've literally looked at possible i was thinking that too i would consider buying it, um, yeah. i would say to to you and to your audience um if you don't have a plug at home skip the plug-in hybrid version um mm-hmm. because pfs tend to be a little bit heavier and yeah, unless, you're, yeah. unless you're plugging in all the time you're not going to get that benefit not, it's not worth it if you're not yeah, yeah so totally just the sense. regular hybrid um because it's a little bit lighter it's a little bit more fuel efficient when you're not plugged in like just in general Oh, man, it's fantastic. I, I believe I want... the one I had was a P have. Let me double double check that. But uh... um, but yeah, just the straight up regular hybrid, especially if you do a decent commute and and whatever. Um, actually, you can get it in matte that matte gray paint, which Hyundai and Kia are the only ones that really offer mattes. Yeah, at, a, at an affordable price, which is I would strange. not buy matte paint just because of the maintenance of it and, and because sure. you can never take it through a car wash. But I, it does look good. For yeah, sure. and it might have a red interior. The matte paint with red interior. Yeah, and this one was I not really like paint, it, but yeah, I apologize but, if I talked over you a few seconds ago. No, you know, no, I, I'm talking here, over but... you. You're the host. <laughs> no, no, we're good. It's just occasionally <laughs> there's a delay, but um, yeah, no, I, I really did dig the the. This was just a regular hybrid. It appears I'm looking at the Monroni right now. I don't yeah, think no, it was the PHEV, but it's one of the. I, I don't plug surprises. in with my garage. Like if I get a PHEV, I don't plug in because my garage doesn't have um, any I'll plug. We don't have a, any EV specific plugs. We do have like a you know one twenty, two twenty, and I will sure. plug an EV in overnight. But it's a pain in the butt with the way my garage is laid out, so I don't do it unless I absolutely have to. Right. If I need the miles, I'll do that. But there's also I can also charge nearby. There's a Whole Foods nearby that I can walk to. Um, there's also a new apartment building with a, with a uh, like a PetSmart and a Orange Theory Fitness or whatever in the retail level, and you can pull in there and park. And there's a, a little bit of a charge. A charge for a charge. I think it's like, I want to say the Whole Foods, you can do you can do 40, 40 bucks for the really fast one, or you can do just a couple bucks an hour for the slower speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is a flat fee. It's a charge point. I think it's five bucks an hour. I think it's $10 to charge for five hours, so it's two, that would be two bucks an hour. That's about, uh, that's about average. Yeah, I thought, that was one, I thought it was a little more expensive than that. There's another grocery store that's $2 an hour, which I might be getting confused in my head. Yeah. Uh, I think the last but, car I charged, there was 10 bucks, though. So maybe that's right. Maybe it's 2 bucks an hour. But uh, Sportage, just to put a bow on that, one of the better cars I drove last year. Like, like a legit yeah. kind of surprise. Man, I don't drive as many gas-powered cars just because my focus right now is... Obviously, is yeah. Wheels. But you probably but, have all the hybrids to your Yeah, we your, do. Uh, fleet. Yeah, and I think one of the big key takeaways is... is it has a real transmission. Yes. Like it has gears. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah, I noticed what, a, that. What, a, what a concept. Getting um, away from CVTs. CVTs still just are not, they're generally they're, speaking, there's a few exceptions, but generally speaking, they stink. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones that are, and the ones that are good still aren't great. Like yeah. Maverick Hybrid. Maverick Hybrid is probably one of my favorite vehicles right now, just yeah. in general. Um, and its CVT is pretty good. Not amazing, but it's on the better end of, of, of the group. Um, yeah. But gosh, you know, if you could a, a Maverick full Bev Maverick, sign me up. Yeah, that'll happen eventually. I think. I would hope. I think I think Ford's working on it. They will never tell us that until no, until the time is not. right. Because 
because I think if you I think when you, if you get hired in PR, the first thing you learn to say is we will not comment on future products. But <laughs> yes, we will not speculate on any possible future product because yeah. they can't just say we won't comment on future product because that means there is future product. Yeah, some people won't even some people won't even want to go that far. No, no. Although and I don't want to get too inside baseball as we wrap up the podcast today, but um, there I have had some PR people who will quietly hint at something as long as you leave your name I, off of it. I will say. Hint. I will say that there are some very good PR people in this business that make it a lot easier for me to plan where my team yes. needs to be. Because when yes. I when you don't cover all automotive, like I have to make business decisions based on no information. Yeah. And that is very difficult because the moment I get burnt, I yeah. am gonna be less less likely to spend there in the future. So I'm very fortunate to have some some PR contacts that they won't necessarily tell me product, but they'll, they'll, they'll say, give, like keep your you, calendar open for such and such dates and be prepared to fly to such and such place. Yeah. Or yeah, make I'll sure you're that. here for this and whatever. And yeah, I'll get something like, well, I can't tell you what we're going to do, but maybe you want to keep a week open in December and maybe you want to have enough time to fly to California. Yeah. I'll get, I'll get comments like that, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that is, you know, I know I know the press is supposed to be combative with PR and we can be, but man, it makes it well, easier for me to bring it makes it easier for me to bring coverage to my audience. And... I, I think it's possible to be adversarial but still have someone who can give you a little hint of to like yeah. plan your calendar. I, I don't think that's really crossing any ethical lines. I don't think so either, but I'm sure there's somebody out there that does. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, for them and for them they can email T Healy at the yeah. about I get emails. Uh, I actually <laughs> I always laugh. That. It's I always <laughs> laugh that part of my job description is, and I want to steal this from the person who hired me at at TTAC, who's no longer with the company. His job description was I I send emails. I'm like, ah, eh, that kind of fits. But uh, <laughs> anyway, with that, we'll wrap it up. I we could do this for hours. Yeah, no, like I told you, you off, like I told you offline. Like I've got hours and hours of material yeah. here. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have you back on uh, as we keep we we try and do this podcast once or twice a month. Sure. Uh, it's going to be a little hard going through December just because we have a lot of things going on, personal yeah. holidays and all that stuff, but we will definitely keep it rolling. Uh, Chad, I th- appreciate your time. Thank you so much again. Yeah, Chad I appreciate Kirchner you. From EV Pulse. Is it EV Pulse or EV Pulse Online? Uh, because all the EV Pulse handles were taken, um, a lot of them are EV Pulse Online, but the website is just evpulse.com. And flat6s.com as well. And flat6s for the Porsche content. Yeah. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Um, Craig's really great on YouTube. Um, I'm not saying you should go like and subscribe, but, but you a, a, like viewer, subscribe. A, a viewer or two wouldn't wouldn't no. we're trying yeah you know, we're trying to build that out so absolutely and then of course those of you listening if you don't already know you should be clicking on ttech.com it's a truthaboutcars.com or ttac.com my name is tim healy i'm the managing editor we're going to wrap this up uh we'll be going live next soon enough this is actually recorded of course but chad kirchner thank you for your time and oh, thanks um, tim for having me it was fun absolutely and we'll see you guys on the other side next time we do a podcast that's ttac.com the truth about cars.com thanks for listening